0: and then we will get started. Jesus, we love you. And and this morning, I love um, what we've been able to sing, what we've we've been able to to just kind of proclaim together, um, that you're our firm foundation and that when everything around us feels like chaos sometimes, when everything around us feels crazy, um, you don't fail. And so, Father, I pray today that that is something that we just keep coming back to, and like that song we sing, it's like there's a time, right? I hear the Spirit say it is time. It is time to, to live a different life. It's time to do life in a different way. Because, God, some of us, we've been doing life the same way for a really long time. And, and it, we just keep coming back to the same place, to the same place, to the same place. And, and you invite us into a new way to live. So, Jesus, today I pray as we dive into your word that you would open it up for us, that so we would see scriptures maybe that we've read before, maybe one time, two times, a thousand times. We'd see it in a new way. That your spirit, which we you know is in this room, would just meet us where we are. Just like Matt said, where we are, as we are, with all of our junk and baggage and mess and stress. All of that, Father. You don't, you don't run from that. So, t- so today, we just bring who we are, as we are, in this space. Uh, Jesus, we love you, and we pray all this in your name. Everybody said, Amen. So football, football season is now fully in swing, right? Like NFL kicked off officially last weekend. And one of the things that I love about the kind of beginning of fall... Um, is I love the beginning of football season, but one of the most fascinating things to watch at the beginning of football season is to watch rivalries kind of get reborn, right? They, they kind of get restarted. It's like somebody throws, throws a match back into that, you know, gas-soaked fire, right? And here's what happens, because in the off-season, in the off-season, once the season's over, depending on how your season ended, whether it was great or whether it was disappointment, right? In the off-season, you get a little space from each other, Right, you get a little space from each other, you kind of come up for air, it's like, you know, it's like, and then, you know, you, you, you get some distance, and the people that, that you know, are, are your rivals, the teams that are your rivals, they're kind of out of sight, out of mind, but then on one weekend, really on one day, it's like all of a sudden, they, they, like, you're thrust back together again, right, and all of that, like, hatred that gets locked up inside of you, right, gets, like, reignited, and, like, the, the fans, when you start thinking about it, it's like, it's one thing to have a rival team, but let's be honest, like, none of us are going to step on a professional field or college field, right? Like, like if, when you have a, it's the fans, right? Those are the people that, that really, most of the year, they're your friends, they're your neighbors, they're your family members, they're your coworkers, and, and again, in the off season, they kinda go back to being that, like you kinda go back to being friends, you start talking to each other again, right? You, you show up at, at family gatherings and stuff like that. Your coworkers, right, you, you start to, to speak to one another again, but, but it's, like, it's like, again, you see, you see that person wearing the logo or the T-shirt of the other team, and you, it's like you remember, they're the worst of humanity. Like, they're the worst. Like, they're the worst. Oh, these fans or these fans, they're the absolute worst. It's like, oh, like, you forgot for a second, like, how could I associate myself with people like that, right? There's so- it's not me. It's you. There's something wrong with you. There's a screw loose. Why? You know, all those kinds of things. But here's the thing. We're going to talk a little bit about rivalries today, right? So there's one rivalry to me that stands out above the rest. And here's the thing. It's not between two rival schools. It's not between two cities, It's not between two political parties or two teams. It's it's between two individuals, right? I'm talking about the rivalry that exists between two fictional characters, a man named Michael Scott and a man named Toby Flinderson, if you've ever watched The Office. Any Office fans in the room? Yeah, yeah, you can be loud and proud, that's okay. There's one moment, right? So The Office is a fantastic TV show. It's hilarious. It's painful to watch sometimes. But there's one moment that kind of stands out, right? And if you've never seen The Office... Steve Carell, the actor, plays this character named Michael Scott, who is the regional director, right, to, of this paper company in, in Scranton. And so, he, you know, he's, he's a goober, but he's a goober. He, just, he wants to be liked. He, he's desperate to be uh, approved of. He tries all the time to kind of win the friendship and win the approval of people around him, and he's a total goober. And so, in this one episode, they're planning on, the office is planning on doing a fundraiser for a group of Boy Scouts, Right? They're going to do a fundraiser for a group of Boy Scouts. The office is going to do a casino night right, in their warehouse. And, and so Michael's got this idea of, at this fundraiser, we're going to invite some of the Boy Scouts, and we'll hand them a check at the end of the night. Well, Toby Flinderson who is kind of like the, he's the corporate HR representative, right? So these two hate each other. Toby's got, he's got some objections. And here's what happens in this episode. Michael finally snaps, right? And all the inside thoughts and all the inside feelings finally come flying out. Check out what what this this scene is. Isn't that kind of how we feel about our rivals? Like if we're just being honest, if we could let the inside thoughts, the inside words come out at some level... There's a there's a part of us that feel, and I love the fact that, like there, there's something about that scene. I love the fact that it's you know it's real because he doesn't yell. It's like, why are you the way that you are? Right? Isn't that kind of how we feel about the people that like the people that we're on in competition with? Right? The the people that always for better or for worse, seem like they're in our way. They show up at the worst possible moments. They always have some kind of like contradicting thought or opinion to our own. And there's this inside voice in our heads that asks this question, why, why are you the way that you are? Right, whether, whether it's the teams they pull for, or maybe it's the way that they vote, or maybe it's their opinions, right? It's, it's mind-blowing to us when we start to think about these people that, that we would call our rivals, right? How can you be the way? How can, it's like, how can you put your head on the pillow at night and sleep soundly, being the kind of person that you are? How is it even possible? And maybe at some level, we kind of go full Michael Scott, and we, we think somewhere deep down in the recesses, like, I hate everything about like the way that you choose to be and that's a funny scene right but here comes the buzzkill right here it is ready for it what if our most bitter rival is actually ourselves what if it's us i don't know about you but but i'm just gonna speak for myself right and say this there have been times when different seasons in my life when i look at myself in the mirror and that voice on the inside when i see my own reflection asks that question why are you the way that you are why are you the way that you are? Why do you act? Why do you act the way you do sometimes? Why do you feel the way you feel sometimes? How can you be? How can you be the way that you are? Why can't you get over it, Brad? Why can't you just move past it? Why can't you let it go? And again, I'm not going to speak for you. I'm just going to speak for myself. I can be really honest and transparent in front of this, this family, right? And I can say this. Nobody says more, more cruel things to me than me. And maybe that's you too. Maybe that's some of us in the room, right? Some of us in the room, if we're just being honest, we think about that moment, right? The choice that we made, or, or maybe it's the choice that somebody made for us, and we didn't get a say in that matter. What we say to ourselves, or what we think about ourselves, is somewhere in the ballpark of like, I, I, I can't stand, or maybe even I, I hate everything about who you choose to be. What do we do about that? what do we do about that when we see ourselves in the mirror and and really what we recognize is our biggest rival is us the person that shows up at the worst moment the person that always has the 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 opinion the person that always is trying to, to 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 ruin our fun right whatever it may be why is it that that sometimes that person is us can we fix that is there any way to fix this there's this guy named Steve Carter, and he wrote this book. It's called The Thing Beneath the Thing. It's where we're getting the inspiration from this series. It's a great book. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on uh, on Apple Books, whatever that's called now. right? You can get that. You can, if you're into like ebooks, you can read it on your iPad or whatever, or you can buy the actual physical book. It's a great book. Here's what he says. One of the things he says towards the beginning of the book is this. Said every time you walk into a room, right, you bring your whole self, all of you. Every space that we walk into, every room we walk into, we bring our whole self. We bring all of us. Yet he says this, most of the time we're unable to locate or identify what's churning within. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like you walk into a room and there's just some part of you that's unsettled? Or you show up to work, or you show up to school, or you show up to that cookout, you know, the neighbor's barbecue in the backyard, whatever it may be. There's something in you that's, that's just unsettling. You can't figure out where, you can't locate it. You can't figure out where that is. He says this, like shadows that follow us, our outward attitudes and actions reflect the steps our internal worlds set. When I was reading through this, this next line really stuck out to me. It says, we've become functional yet disconnected. We've become efficient yet unaware. The things that we're unaware of, the things that we can't quite locate, even though we can't locate them, even though those things are maybe shoved deep down into who we are, right, they still control us. That part of us that we can't locate still controls us until, he says, we honor the whole truth. And that's what this series is going to be about. That's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about learning to face and not fear the truth of, the stuff that's in our lives. We're going to locate some stuff that, that maybe has been unlocatable. We're going to find some things that maybe we previously haven't been able to find. We're going to honor and not hide from the whole truth about who we are. So if you've got your Bibles with you or your Bible app, uh, go ahead and open those up to Romans chapter 7. If you need a Bible, we've got free Bibles in the back. You can have those. They're yours. You can take it home with you. Uh, because here, here's the deal. And we, say, we say this a lot at Adventure. If you're new here today, um, one of the things we say a lot is that when we read the Bible, Bible people are just people people. Sometimes we think like Bible people, there's something special about them, like they're perfect, they've got their life all pulled together, and that's the reason that's how they like got into the Bible, when the reality is Bible people are just like us. right? They deal with some of the same stuff that we do, they deal with some of the same junk that we do, they struggle, they wrestle, they doubt, they fear, they, they struggle with their faith. I mean, it's crazy when you start reading like so what goes on in, in, in the Bible. right? Some of us are like, I don't know, I'm, my life's pretty bad. Let me just tell you this. There's some, some, some pretty messed up stuff, right? Like, my you, you, guess is you probably have not outsinned some of the people in the Bible, right? I'm just, just guessing, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to read in Romans chapter 7, uh, and it's this guy named Paul who wrote this letter to a group of people just like us who are living in Rome, people who were, were, were trying to figure out what does it look like for, to, for us to live a life that's connected to Jesus? How do we do that? How do we live a life that's connected to Jesus in the midst of all of this crazy cultural stuff how do we do that? And I'm going to read from, it's a, it's a translation called the New Living Translation, and the reason that I'm going to do that is because what we're getting ready to read in Romans 7 is like Paul takes all of his inside thoughts and he puts them out on paper. Like It was like his Michael Scott moment, right? It's like all of these things that are going on in my brain and in my heart, in my emotions, in my feelings, all of those things... I'm going to take those. I'm going to put them out on paper for everybody to read. Right, this is kind of Paul letting us into his brain. Here's what it says: Romans chapter seven, starting in verse thirteen. He says, "Did the law? The law is kind of all the rules, right? All the things, all the all the religious rules. Did the law, which is good, cause my death?" He says, "Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death." So we can see how how terrible sin really is. Something like sin takes God's good commands and uses it for its own evil purposes. He says, so you know what? The trouble isn't with the law so much, for it's spiritual and it's good. He says, here's where the trouble lies. The trouble is with me because I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. And here's what he says. I don't really understand myself. I don't understand myself why are you? Essentially, that's Paul's moment of going like, why are you the way that you are? Why are you the way that you are? He says, because here's why. I I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, Paul says, I do what I hate. And you skip down to verse 18. He says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, it's in my sinful nature, right? I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. I do it anyway. He says, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that's still within me. Oh, Paul says, what a miserable person I am. Again, it's one of those moments. Like If you thought, "I, I probably am weird and I'm probably not allowed to look at my own reflection in the mirror and say, why are you the way that you are? Like I don't like who you are. I don't like what's going on. I don't like what's going on in our lives, right? Like, here's the thing. Paul said the same thing. He looked at himself in the mirror and he said, what a miserable person I am. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And then he asks this question, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says this, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's like he comes up for air real quick and realizes like, yeah, there's an answer here. There's a way here. There's a solution here. There's some options available to me here, right? The answer is Jesus. But then again, goes right back into it. He says, so you see how it is in my mind. I really wanna obey God's law. I really want to do the things that God asks me to do. I want to live the life that God lines out. I want to live what we call it here at Adventure, the with God life. It's a life with God, God within us, and with us through our lives. That's the life that Jesus makes possible through the gospel. Paul says, I want to live that way. I want to live the with God life, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. It's basically Paul, like maybe a lot of us go, I am my, I am my own most bitter and hated rival. Within, within one person, there are two opposing teams. And sometimes it feels like it's an unstoppable force, meaning an immovable object. I don't know what to do with this. The Apostle Paul, right, the guy who, when we read about him in Scripture, this was a guy that helped to plant like communities, families of faith, people like us, doing life together trying to live this with God life he 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 helped establish those kinds of things all over the known world paul this guy who wrote the, the, the majority of the new testament that's the guy that guy his greatest rival was himself so if you think for a second that when you walk into a church or you walk into a place like this that that and maybe Recently, maybe even this morning, you looked at yourself in the mirror and you went, I'm so disgusted. If you think that disqualifies you from being able to connect into a family of people pursuing Jesus, if if that disqualifies you, then the guy that wrote pretty much most of the New Testament can't belong to a church. This guy is the same guy that wrestles like you and I. And one, one commentary, one article I read this week about these verses said this. Paul, he's not, he's not attempting to escape responsibility by pointing his finger out and placing the blame on sin, but rather what he's doing is he's putting his finger on the real culprit. He's recognizing what's really broken inside of him. It says this, it says this invader, right, has managed to secure more than just a foothold. He roams the place considering it his home. Like, can you imagine that if just a stranger showed up and moved into your house and just kind of walked around your house, ate your food, got in your fridge, right, slept in your beds, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, who are you? Well, this is like, I just came in. I came in. And I'm going to pretend that this is my home now. It says, with this alien master in control, no matter how hardly he wants or how strongly he wants to do good, he finds himself at every turn checkmated. It's like everywhere I turn, I can't get out. I just can't seem to win. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like in life it's like I can't win for losing, right? I just can't seem to break the cycle. Every even when I try to come up for air, even when it seems like things are starting to get better, like you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like things are starting to get better. It's just gonna be a matter of time before something bad happens and wrecks all this. If that doesn't- I mean, I know it sounds familiar to me, right? And maybe this is gonna hit a little closer to home, right? Maybe it's it's not so much things like this. Maybe, maybe it's this, maybe it's. Maybe it's when a, like a minor inconvenience turns into a major blow up. You ever had that? It's like where it's like something just sets you off. And really at the end of the day, it's not a big deal. It's kind of one small little detail. It's one small little, it's it's traffic where you didn't expect traffic to be, right? Which right now is just the entire city of Louisville. Just give yourself an hour to get anywhere. But here's the thing, like, you have these minor inconveniences that turn into major blow-ups, and what happens is it's like an out-of-body experience. You can see, and you can hear yourself, and you can even think to yourself in these moments, like, stop! Like, what are you doing? Like, the people that you're taking this out on, they don't deserve this. This isn't their fault. But what happens is you're totally out of control. And then you start to ask yourself these questions, like, where did this come from? Like, what happened? What happened? And usually those questions come in the form of more like damage assessments. Like, who did I hurt? What did I do? What relationship did I ruin? What friendship did I destroy? What trust did I break? Or maybe it's like this. It's when one drink, the one drink you hope is going to ease the pressure, turns into the whole bottle. And there's this part inside of you that knows that won't fix me. That's not going to fix me. There's this part inside of us that knows somewhere like the same problems, the same kind of problems that you're trying to get away from by having that one drink. You know what? They're going to be there tomorrow. And if you keep going, those same problems are going to get there, are they're going to be there tomorrow, right? But but here's the thing. Tomorrow, they're just going to be joined now by shame and a hangover. But it feels like something or someone else just keeps refilling the glass over and over and over and over again. And we ask these questions, why did I do that? Why couldn't I stop? Why couldn't I just walk away? Why couldn't I just say no? Why couldn't I, I just say, you know what, enough is enough? Or maybe for you it's like this, when everybody else in the house is asleep, and everybody in the house is quiet and it's at rest, The noise in your mind is deafening. That's me. The thoughts that are unwanted keep showing up. The replays of the moments and situations that you regret or cringe, they just keep, they just keep up. It's like a repeat on loop. They just keep someone just keeps making you watch all of the game film and all of the places and all the moments and all the times in that day that you screwed up. And nothing seems to make it stop. So we go crazy trying to answer it, trying to figure it out, and try to make sense of this question. Why am I the way that I am? And if you're anything like me, that question's gonna haunt you and it scares you. And so instead of facing it, what happens? We numb it out, right? I numb it out. I'd rather not deal with this. I'd rather not locate the problem. I'd rather not, I'd rather not ask questions of this. So I'm just gonna numb it out. How? I'm gonna get more busy. I'm gonna get more busy, I'm gonna do more things, right? Instead of of facing this, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pursue more success, I'm gonna pursue more approval, I'm gonna pursue more food, more achievement, more attention, more sex, more booze, whatever it is. And all of those things, at the end of the day, they just lead to more guilt, more shame, and more regret, and we find ourselves stuck in this pattern where we just keep landing the exact same spot where we ended before, going, when will something change? I think it looks like this. Again, you, you guys know that, that, that I'm, a, I'm a visual person. I like to read books with pictures. So again, what, what it looks like is that, you know, we've got this iceberg, right? And, and, and we work really hard to keep things like this above the surface. And when you look at kind of what's above the surface, right, you've got kind of like, everybody, and maybe you're not like this, but I feel like every fall when the leaves start to change, you just, like, if you scroll through your Instagram feed, it is like every family goes out to some farm And they wear vests and boots and flannels and scarves, right? I don't know what, that's like, I don't wear, I've never, I don't know that I've really ever worn a vest, right? And it's like, the the reality is because it's Louisville, even though the leaves are changing, it's still 150 degrees outside, and you're in flannel, right? You start scrolling through, but it's like, you know what, we've got this, and you, like, there's every, every, like, scroll has got one where, like, the family's, like, all running and laughing, I don't know, it's like a little blurry, but you know what's happening right before that picture gets taken. It's like mom and dad are going, kids, run and smile, right? Like, no one gets Chick-fil-A unless you run and smile, right? It's like you've got the Instagram family. Like, that, like we want to keep that. That's what we want people to believe that our family is like, that we all get dressed up in boots, and scarves, and flannel, and we are just so happy, and we are so happy out on the farm that if someone ever dropped us on a farm, right, and told us that we have to work the farm, we would die, and so would everybody around us, right? Because we're not farmers. Right, You got that Insta family. That's what we want people to see. We want them to see that image. We want people to believe that we are put together, right? that we've got our priorities straight. We, t- we just spent the last five weeks talking about our values and priorities. You know what? All of my values and all of my priorities are in alignment. I am good. I am cruising. We want people to see wealth. Wealth equals success, Right? We want people to believe that we have more than we actually do. And the the, the reality is, it's like, to to get the appearance of wealth means we're in a lot of debt, right? So we want people to see that we're happy. We want people to see that we have nice things, that, that we've got success and status and influence. And usually when people ask us, how are you? What do you say? I'm fine. I'm good. We're good. We're good. And here's the deal. When it comes to this kind of stuff, we find ourselves in one of two places, when it comes to the stuff that's kind of above the surface, we find ourselves in one of two places. One is we kind of stand in front of this and we do our best to protect it, right? Because if somebody comes after my Insta family or somebody for, the, for a second thinks that I'm not put together or that I'm not wealthy, happy, successful, and influential, if so, like don't mess with that kind of stuff. And what we find is when someone kind of starts to attack or maybe something starts to attack the image we want people to believe, we get vicious real fast, All that insecurity comes flying out of us. So one thing we do with this stuff that's above the surface is we stand in front of it and we protect it like crazy. But then the other place said one of two places. The second place we find ourselves when it comes to the stuff that's above the surface is we hide behind it. We hide behind it. Why? Because even though what I want to project in front of you is a guy that's manly, that's tough, that's a good dad, that's a good husband, that's not afraid of anything, He's got his stuff together. Right? I want to project those things. I want to project an image. But what's hiding behind that is a scared little boy. What's hiding behind that for you is a scared little girl. It's a scared little boy. Men, there's a lot of us in this room. Scared little boys hide behind the image that we want to project. That's just the truth. Me too. Because here's the deal. The reason that we get so scared, the reason that we try to protect this or hide behind it is because of what what exists below the waterline. And that's the thing beneath the thing. Because on, on the surface, it looks like all put together. But underneath, below that space, here's what we find. We find things like insecurity. We find things like I'm afraid, or there's shame, or I've got regrets, or you know what, I'm anxious. Even though I, what I want you to believe is that I'm put together and that I'm calm and I got all my stuff, all my ducks are in a row, you know what, On the, what's happening below the surface, I am freaking out. I'm anxious, I'm messy. I've got wounds, I've got secrets, there are failures that I still feel the guilt over, I am lonely. And for some of us in our stories, there is real trauma. There is real trauma. So the reason that we try to protect what's up here or we hide behind what's up here is because of what lies below the surface, the thing beneath the thing. And that, just telling you, church, that's where we're going. And I think probably most of us in the room just went, nope, not doing it. Why? Here's the thing. There's some scary stuff. There's some scary stuff that's hidden below the surface of our lives. There's a a world-renowned psychologist and psychiatrist. His name is Bessel van der Kolk, which is a great name. If I could change my name to something, it would be that. He wrote a book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Fantastic book. But in it, he says this. He says, trauma, by definition, is unbearable and intolerable. He says, it takes a tremendous amount of energy to keep functioning while carrying the memory of terror, of sh- uh, the terror and the shame of utter weakness and vulnerability. He says, long after a traumatic experience is over, it can be reactivated by even the slightest hint of danger. And that results in unpleasant emotions, intense physical situations, impulsive and aggressive actions that are incomprehensible and overwhelming. And here's what he said, again, when I read this book, I went, yeah, often we wonder If we are damaged to the core and beyond redemption. Ever wonder that? You ever wonder if you're damaged to the core and you're beyond redemption? Those thoughts ever enter your mind? Nothing anybody can do about this. Nothing anybody, there's no way to fix this. So the question is, how do, how do we get there? How do we, how do, what do we do with this? What, how do we get to a place where we can press into some of these things, right? Step into some of these things. How do we get there? Here's a hard truth. The only way out is through. The only way out is through. We have to face what lives below the surface in our lives. And so here's what it's going to look like. Triggered, what are the places we go to hide out? What are the images that we want people to see? Our insecurities, the things that make us insecure, our narratives, the narratives that we ultimately kind of spin, the yarns that we spin to kind of justify our actions, the things that we do, and then ultimately it's grace, T-H-I-N-G, triggers, hideouts, insecurities, narratives, and grace. And over the next few weeks... We're going to dive into the lives and the stories of people in the Bible that also, like us, had things that existed beneath the surface in their life. When it comes to triggers, we're going to read the story. Look at the story of a guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. He's kind of famous. Moses was a guy who got triggered and bad things happened. Right? Moses was a guy who found out some news that changed the rest of his life. And that news, in that moment, right, it overwhelmed him. And Moses ended up killing someone with his bare hands and then running into the desert. So when it comes to triggers, we're going to read the story of this guy named Moses. When it comes to hideouts, we're going to read the story of a guy named Elijah. Right? Again, person in the Bible, big deal. Right? Elijah was a prophet. Elijah was a guy who was intended to kind of bring a message from God to people. Things got really difficult. When things got really difficult, Elijah ran and hid. We're going to talk about insecurities. When we do that, we're going to look at a character, a guy in the Bible named Saul, who was a king. He was the first king of Israel. And he was chosen because he was the tallest and he was the best looking. Right? He was the first king that Israel ever had. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at Saul's life and see how insecurities kind of ruled his life. And when it comes to narratives, we're going to look at another king, one of the most famous kings, a king named David. And each of these guys had moments in their lives that fundamentally shifted everything. And that shift was brought on by something deep below the waterline, the thing beneath the thing, right? But what each of them found, and here's the deal: I need you to hear this. What's on the table for every single one of us, even today, What's gonna be on the table for every single one of us is this, grace. Grace. Because here's the truth. No matter how deep below the surface the thing beneath the thing lives, God's grace can always go deeper. No matter how deep below the surface, you may feel like, well, I've stuffed this thing way down, Brad, and it is locked, the door is locked, bolt locked, pad locked, right? It is sealed shut. There is no, There's. no. I'm not going, there's nothing that can get down there God's grace can do that. But here, I want, I want to say this, right? I want to be really clear today because this, this entire series is going to be about mental health and emotional health. And the reason that we're talking about mental health and emotional health in church is because Jesus cared about it. Right? In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, he, when, when someone asks him, say, Jesus, what are the, what are the two most important things? Like, what's, what's the most important thing in our life, right? And Jesus says, actually, it's not one, it's two things, right? You're to love God and love people and love yourself, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? So, our heart, like that center of feeling and emotions, our mind, that place where thoughts live, our soul, that, that spiritual aspect of who we are, and our strength, the physical aspect of ourselves, right? Jesus cared about our mental and emotional health. Right, Because we've said this before, uh, and we're actually talking about this a little bit in groups this week. So a lot of times the way we picture our lives is we picture our lives in compartments. Like our lives are compartmentalized. And so we've got like a mental compartment and an emotional compartment and a spiritual compartment and a physical compartment. And we try to just make sure that, that really we manage them. We're not really thriving. Right? We're just surviving. And we're trying to manage these different compartments by making sure that there's something in each one of them. Because the worst thing is for any one of them to dry up. That's kind of how we approach life sometimes. It's compartmentalized, we manage the compartments, there are different buckets, different spaces, different areas, things like that, but that's not how we work. It's not buckets, we're more like links in a chain. So there's an emotional link, a spiritual link, a mental link, and a physical link. And you've heard the the phrase, right? A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So when one link breaks, the whole thing goes. But the same is also true, when you strengthen a link, it, it elevates the strength and integrity of the rest of the chain. That's how we were, that's how God wired us. So when Jesus says you're supposed to love God, love people, and love yourself with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it is he's, he's talking about the chain. He's talking about this integrated life. And so we're gonna spend some time talking about our mental health and emotional health. Why? Because we need to. Because Jesus cared about it. But I wanna be really clear, okay? I have read and I've seen and I've heard where, where, where lots of people have been taught and they've been told by churches, by church leaders, by pastors, by preachers, by church people, that, that their struggles with mental health or mental illness is due to their own personal unresolved sin. Right? That message is out there. That message is being handed to people. And so what happens is this, for, for those of us that have been handed that message maybe in the past, on top of the very real struggle that we deal with daily, now there's this added weight and added pressure to, to, to solve like the riddle of guilt in our lives. Because based on what we've been told and based on what we've been read and based on what, what this person handed me, what, what, what I'm being told is my mental health and my mental illness and all those kinds of things, I'm just getting what I deserve. And somewhere we're led to think that if I can just figure out what I did wrong and say sorry, then I can be fixed because we're told that we're responsible some way, somehow, for everything that we struggle with. I want to be really honest and really clear today. For many of us, our struggle with clinical mental health issues and clinical mental illness is often not directly caused by our own personal sin. That's the truth. That's the truth. For many of us in the room today, where mental health is a struggle, can I just say this? It's not your fault. It's not your fault. For some of us, hurt and harm was done to us. And that caused a wound and that caused a scar that we don't want, that we didn't want, we've never wanted, and we would never wish on anybody else, here's the truth. You don't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. For some of us in the room, there there are chemicals and parts of our brains that just don't fire properly. Me, we didn't choose that. It's not a choice. I didn't choose that. I didn't go, hey, you know what'd be nice? Anxiety, ADHD, sounds like a hoot, right? Let's put the two of them. Let's put the two of them together and see what happens, right? Let's get these guys in a room. Here's the truth. Here's the truth, right? It's not your sin. It's just sin in general. It's not your sin. It's just sin in general. Here's the truth, church. All of our struggles for every single one of us, every single person in this room, everything in life that we have experienced and experienced and will experience that is painful, that is hurtful, that is unjust, that is unfair, everything in our lives that is broken, that doesn't work like it's supposed to, all can be traced back to sin. Now, what is sin? We've talked about this a little bit here at Adventure. Sin are those moments, right, where we look at God, where we get convinced even. We get convinced, you know what? You can, do, you can run your life better than God can. Right? You can do this better than he ever could. And so what we do is we look at God we go, listen, I know you've got a plan, I know you say this, and I know you've got this, and I know you line this out for me, but you know what, God, I think I can do it better than you. Get out of my life, get out of my way, let me run it the way I want to. That's been happening since the dawn of time. And here's the result. Sin infects things like a virus. Sin infiltrates. It's like an invader like we just talked about. Sin breaks everything. And we want to know sometimes like why does God hate sin? Why is God so opposed to sin? Here's why. It's because of what it's done to us. God loves you so much that he hates what sin does to you. He does not hear me say this today. God does not hate you. God is not mad at you. God hates what sin does to you. He hates what it's done to you. We live in a broken world. Saying that we have sin in our lives, church, is similar to like saying that we have air in our lungs because we breathe it in. And sin in this fallen world is like an atmosphere that's all around us. And we can't help but to get it on us and get it in us. Does does sin need to be dealt with? Yes. But here's the way God deals with sin, through grace and mercy. You wanna know how God deals with sin? He sent his son to die. That's how he dealt with it. Because you and I can't fix it on our own, God said, I got this, what's it gonna cost? The life of my son, done. That's the way God deals with sin, through grace and mercy, not through unjust punishment jesus what he does what he invites people to do is this churchy word repent and believe the word repent means change direction right before we were stuck in this sin stuff and because jesus came and did what he did lived the life that the died the death he died and didn't stay dead right we get to now have we have a choice you don't have to live the old way anymore you can let repent means to change the direction to turn away from something and step into something new right that's 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 the option on a table we've got two deals on the table Get two deals on the table. You can keep staying stuck in the pattern that you're in or you can accept Jesus' invitation to step into a new life. But you gotta understand something, right? You have to understand how cruel and untrue it is for some of us to be told that we deserve every bit of pain and struggle because we messed up and if we want it to get better, you better figure out what it is and fix it yourself. Just not true. Now, truthfully, some of the things that we struggle with, and some of the things that, that we wrestle with, some of those things we do bring on ourselves, right? We've made bad decisions, we've made bad choices, right? We make bonehead decisions. Like you can't today. Like if you get pulled over today going 90 on the Gene Snyder, and like the, the cop comes up and says, "Why were you going so fast?" As the devil, it won't work. I've tried it, right? Like it was just sin, officer. Like, I got I'm a sinful man. Have mercy on me, right? Like it does. It doesn't work. I've tried it. That's not like that'll actually get you institutionalized so don't do that right but here's the thing like God's response is grace and mercy and there are things that happen to us that we don't deserve regardless of sin in our lives whether it is through our own choices or things that have happened to us God's response doesn't change God's response to sin is grace and mercy not everything that happens to us because of our emotional health or our mental health happens to us because somehow we deserve it. And for Jesus, right, all of this, he makes it, he makes it, Jesus makes it so that sin no longer defines your life and doesn't get the last word when it comes to who you are. There's a great story. I don't have time to read it today, right? But in John chapter nine, Jesus and his friends, they, they step into this town and they see a guy who's been born blind and his friends thinking the same thing that a lot of people do go, Jesus, this blind guy, like who's, who sinned? Him or like someone in his family that now he's suffering with blindness, and Jesus' response is this: "That's not it. Has nothing to do with that." Here's the thing: th- th- this guy struggles when he because because of me. Like the way Jesus steps into our struggles, he looks at this guy and he says, "This has happened so that the work of God can be displayed in his life." See, for Jesus, he looks at our struggles, the things that we feel like are insurmountable and we, can't, we cannot get through this. Jesus goes, you know what? That struggle that you can't break, I can use that to display my work. I can use the worst thing in your life to display how good I am. And that's what we're gonna be circling back to every week. The same guy, Paul, And 2 Corinthians says this, he said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, whose whose name means the accuser, right? I was given a messenger to to torment me, and he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. My guess is it's more like 3,000, and probably the same for us. There have probably been times we've prayed over and over and over again, God, please take this away. But here's what God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Please hear this today. God's grace is unafraid to step into the cold, dark spaces in your life where all the bad things try to hide. God's grace is unafraid to face them down, to take the fight to them on their own turf. God will play away games all day and he never loses. God's grace is unafraid to bring the light and life to parts of our lives that we've given up on and we've just said, you know what, it just is the way it is. God's grace is sufficient. It is enough for the wounds that still hurt and bleed. God's grace is enough for you to come out of hiding, God's grace is sufficient. It's enough to secure us, to keep us safe. God's grace redeems and it restores the narratives in our lives. Your story isn't over. God's not done. It's not set. It's not written. There's no place where God's grace can't go because there's no situation where it can't work. And because of that, church, there is no weakness or struggle that in the end we need to be afraid of. Why? Because God's grace is enough. One of the guys we're going to talk about, David, wrote this psalm he found out firsthand. He found out firsthand just where God's grace could go in your life, and he wrote it down in a poem. It says this, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, Sheol was the place, is referred to as the house of death, the place where dead things go, that's what Sheol is. If I make my if I sleep in the house of death, in the place where dead things are, you're still there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, the darkness shall cover me, the light about me will be as night. He said, even darkness is not dark to you. the Night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light to you. See, when Jesus talks about the abundant life that he desires for us, the with God life that he makes possible, He's not just talking about the parts of our lives that we like. When Jesus talks about the abundant life, he's not just talking about the parts of your life that think look good. Jesus Jesus isn't saying, hey, you want the abundant life? Bring all the good stuff in your life and leave all the junk behind. That's not what he's saying. Jesus isn't only interested in the pretty put-together things. When you trust Jesus with your life, when you put your life in his hands, you put him in charge of your whole life. He doesn't just ask for the parts of your life that work the way you want them to jesus steps into and jesus accepts jesus takes all of who we are we just have to let him in We just have to open the door there's a verse in in, in the book of revelation at the end of the bible where jesus is kind of saying listen like he's talking to these different churches and Jesus has got a message for, for this church in a place called Laodicea, and, and they were a lukewarm community. They, weren't, they were kinda on the fence. They weren't hot, they weren't cold. And Jesus says, listen, here's the deal. Like, you, you can't sit on the fence, you can't sit in between. You can't keep living a life where you've got things beneath the things and just trying to eke out an existence by pretending to be somebody that you're not. So Jesus says this, here's, here's the invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. So if today, maybe you're sitting on the fence and maybe you've been on the fence for a while, maybe you've been trying to hide, maybe you've been trying to pretend your way into what you feel like is a good life, Jesus says, open the door, let me in. Like the song we're about to sing, we're gonna sing it again. So I hear the Spirit say, it's time. It's time for a new way a new way that's different than the old way. It's time for a new man. It's time for for a new wind to blow. It is time, it is time for a new way and a new life. You don't have to live like this. It can change, Jesus says, if you let me in. And that's it, that's the only way to do it. There is no other way. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no other way than through Jesus. The only way out is through. The only one that can go with us is him. So I'm gonna pray for us. If you need prayer this morning, I would love to pray for you. I'll be down down front here. If you just wanna spend some time in prayer, we've got a place where you can sit here and pray. If if you want to to talk about what it means to to invite Jesus into your life, I would love to chat with you. We can talk here as well. If you wanna be a part of this church, you wanna join this church, be a part of this family, people that are just trying to figure it out, we all got junk below the surface. I'd love to chat with you about that as well. Let's pray and then we will worship. Jesus, you're good and we love you. We thank you that that your grace never fails and that you don't let us down. That you're good to us, you're good for us, you want good for us. So Jesus, we let you into all of who we are. May we do that today. May we just take a chance and see, what's it like to let Jesus into this space? Some of these things, not our fault. Not our fault, but we have to take responsibility. We can't keep living this way. You invite us into a, into an abundant life, a better life. And it starts with facing some of the junk that we've got below the surface. So, Jesus, today, would you meet us in that space? Would we figure it out today, would we figure out in the next few days just how deep your grace goes? Father, we love each and we pray. Amen.